Shall we just pray? Father God, we just ask that as, as we talk this morning about breathe new life and as we talk about you and about how you can help us to grow broad, that God, that we would have ears to hear and a heart to listen. God, I pray that you would speak to us all this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place and that you would change our lives, that you would change and rewrite our futures and that we would see destinies begin to unfold in your plans and purposes. Amen. Yeah, as Ben said, I'm carrying on this series for Becoming Breathe New Life. And last week I talked about together and this week I'm talking about broad. And the strap line that we've put with it is this. We find our place and learn to grow in our God-given gifts to minister to others. And I read that and I think, wow, that's a bit of a mouthful. That's an awful lot to do and to change and to grow in, to become broad. And, you know, it's a journey. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. No matter where you're at, no matter how you're feeling, no matter how far along that journey you are, or if you're thinking, I don't even know if I've started that journey. I don't even know what I think about God. I'm just, I've just come to church to see what happens here. I, I don't even know. That's okay. Because God wants to carry on your journey with you, where you're at, and help you take the next steps. You know, before I worked for the church, um, I worked in a primary school. And I remember finishing university and going and doing some temping work um, at a local radio station. And then while I was looking for a job, and I was looking and looking, and eventually I got a job in a primary school. And um, I never worked with children before. Can't say I was a big children fan. But I just wanted, I'd, I'd got a real passion about seeing people's lives changed and believing that God could change lives. And so that was one of the reasons that I'd tried different avenues and I thought, you know, I could do this. I could go into schools and mentor these children and see a change in their lives. And that was why I sort of ended up working in school was this desire to see change in people. And I got into school and I suddenly realized, oh, Children, mm, I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> um, that this one's licking a cupboard. I'm not kidding. This one is cleaning the assembly floor with their bottom, waxing on and waxing off as they go. And there were upsets, there were outbursts, there was first aid on things that shouldn't need first aid on, in my opinion. There were things that were going on that I had no understanding of and that, quite frankly, freaked me out. It prepared me for motherhood in a way that I didn't expect and probably for my children's sake, it was a good job. But when I first started working in school, I had to be teachable, even which sounds strange, but I had to be teachable myself so that I could understand what to do with these children. And I remember watching other teachers and thinking, that's a really good way of getting them to stop doing that. Or that's a really good way of getting that to happen. I had to be ready to learn and I had to change my approach as well. The way that I thought would make them do what I needed them to do Write that down. Don't do that. Can you stop it, please? Actually just didn't work. And it was finding techniques and ways to actually help them to grow 
actually helped me to grow as well because I was ready to see what other people did and think, actually, that's a better way. Actually, that will work better. And I got better at working with children. And I saw benefit from it. And I saw fruit from it. And not only did I see them growing broad in what they were able to do, I saw myself growing broad and growing in what I was able to do as well. So I want to really encourage you this morning that it's a journey. And we don't always go in and just go, I'm here, I'm broad, I'm wonderful at what I do, check me out. It doesn't always work like that. And we have to go on a journey of growth. And we have to go on a journey of discovery. And we have to go on a journey of, yeah, actually, that doesn't work. I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) And that's okay. And, you know, as we read what it says, we find our place and learn to grow in our God-given gifts to minister to others. What do we have to do first? What do we have to do first? We find our place. We've got to find our place. We've got to discover who we are in him. We've got to work out what he's given to us and what he's saying. You're wonderful at that. I've made you for this plan and this purpose. And then we've got to find the right soil to help us to grow in that. Because sometimes the relationships that we have or the places that we go or even sometimes the church where we find ourselves doesn't necessarily help us to grow in that area. And it's finding those right relationships, that right environment, that right team, that right workplace, wherever it is, finding that place where we can grow Because we know who we are and we feel encouraged in who we are. So when we find our place, then we learn to grow. And the growth isn't just about growing and getting better at something that you do. So often we can get so caught up in this aspect of Christian life and think, I've just got to get better at my gift. My gift is to play the guitar. My gift is to serve on the cafe. My gift is to help within a small group. My gift is to do whatever, work with the kids. Whatever we feel our gift is. You might not even know. That's okay. Sometimes that's the better place to be. But we get so caught up in this is the thing that I've got to do that we actually miss the growing. We get so caught up in growing and doing more in the gift that we actually miss the growing. And you can grow in doing all that stuff, but if you're not growing in your character, then your character will not sustain the growing in the thing that you do. Otherwise, you become unbalanced. You become really big over this area, but when your character hasn't grown and developed to the same level, then all of a sudden it is top heavy this side and there's no character to balance you out. Because in life we should be balanced. So if you look at me as if I'm some scales, this side is where the gift is. This side is where the character is. If I'm not growing in both sides, I'm not going to be balanced. I'm going to be top heavy one way and my character is going to be all over the place. Can I encourage you as you look to grow and develop, look to grow and develop 
equally in both areas. May you grow and develop in things that you feel gifted in and called to, but may you also grow and develop in your character. By that, I mean in kindness, in love, in patience, in all of these things that help us when we get big-headed in this stuff. And this side of us is just small. Because otherwise, it brings us back over into balance. And we can think, yeah, we may be God's gift at doing something. Quite literally, we may be. But if we aren't balanced out in that, in our character, in our love, in our gentleness, in our patience with people, then actually the gift suddenly becomes a battering ram to hit people with. Because we're not balanced out. Does that make sense? Please, 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 above and beyond anything else, grow in your character as you grow in your gifting. And if you feel it's not equal, then stop yourself and take some time and say to somebody, can you help me? I feel like I'm getting really big in this area and yet in my character and and, and all of those things, I don't feel I'm developing as much. It's so, so key. It has to be holistic. Otherwise, we damage ourselves. That's going to hurt if you stay like that for a long time. Or we damage other people by battering them with the gift of who we are instead of being balanced and dancing nicely with It's like It's like dancing, isn't it? It's like dancing nicely with people. I can't dance, can you see? But if I dance like this, it's not helpful for anybody. Unless you're dancing with Quasimodo. Do you know what I mean? It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It looks awkward. It hurts, actually. And if someone comes and tries to dance with me, they've either got to fit themselves around me, because this is how I work, and then it's going to hurt them as well, and everyone's just going to have a bad back. So can I encourage you, grow, grow in balance. You know, in the New Testament, and this is something that the small groups are going to look at when they um, spend some time on this. In the New Testament, it talks so, so much about ministering and serving. And the Greek word that I can't pronounce is diakonia. And you see it in many areas in the New Testament. You see it in Acts, and then you see it later in some of the letters as well. And it basically talks about serving other people. And when, it, when we talk about it as serving, suddenly it becomes balanced. Because it's not about check me out of my gift. It's suddenly about what can I do for you with the gift that God has given me? How can I help you with this gift that God has given me? How can I encourage you to worship God with this gift that I've got? How can I help you raise your children with this gift that I have got? How can I encourage you within a small group and train you in how to, how to live your life with this gift that I have got? It's about serving and, and, it mean, and it comes, you, you see it in so many ways. It's practical tasks that can be done. It's evangelism and sharing the gospel. It's financial support into things. All of these things are serving and helping. 
And it's looking at it holistically. If we're looking to minister to others or to minister to the world, whether it's inside the church, whether it's outside the church, whether it's our family, whether it's what we do within our workplace, whether it's an area where we're volunteering, and we're passionate about, no matter where it is, then we've got to be holistic about it. And serving looks so many different ways, can be so many different things. And you've got to ask yourself, who is your gift for? Is it for you? Is it for God's church? Is it for God? Who is your gift for? Because when we get to the crux of who our gift is for, and we realize where the gift has actually come from, then actually suggests to us who it's for. So if every gift we have is from God, then every gift we have is for God and what he would like us to do with it then we become holistic because suddenly we realize this gift that we have, this thing that we can do, isn't all about me. It isn't all about getting the fix of feeling good. It isn't all about how, how great it can make me feel, how it, can, how it can ease my lack of self-esteem, how it can help me with my insecurities. But suddenly it becomes about the one who gave us the gift in the first place. James 1 verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Everything placed within you, everything that you have, every good thing within you is from God. So my first thing I want to say to you, sorry Jess, I'm moving around a little bit. My first thing I want to say to you this morning is, recognize the gift. Recognize the gift that is within you. First of all, recognize it's from God. And you may think, I don't know what the gift is. That's okay. But know that whatever is within you, God has put it there. And God has planted it within you to grow and develop as you grow and develop as an individual. If we don't recognize what God's put within us, then we can't utilize it. If we don't recognize it's from God, then we can't utilize it in a healthy and holistic way. Because it suddenly becomes about us. And you know, sometimes you just don't recognize a gift within yourself. Because it's just, well, that's just me. That's just how I am. That's just who I am. You know, our gifts don't come wrapped up and left under the Christmas tree at Christmas time. They don't come on a birthdays. We don't get someone knock at the door and do one of them singy songs and go, here is your gift from God. And you're like, oh, wow, this is the thing that I can do. And how wonderful. It doesn't always come like that. We don't always see who God has gifted us to be. I remember growing up in primary school. And maybe this is just me. And in school, you just you always wanted your thing that you were good at. Do you understand what I mean? You're sort of in school and you're thinking, what's my thing that I'm really good at? So such and such, they are really good at maths. It's like, what's even going on in your brain that you even understand that and can do that with numbers? It's just like... And then you have some people who are really good at English. And, and they could write these sentences that were just of epic proportions. Then you had the creative people who, when you did art, you were like, 
check out my artwork. And then you'd look across the desk and you'd just go, okay, nobody look at my artwork. (laughs) And then I I got to this point and I thought, you know, I'm okay at maths. I'm okay at English. I'm okay at art. Maybe sport's my thing. And I suddenly realized when I broke out from within my primary school and got to Northwood Stadium... For those of you who aren't local, Northwood Stadium is the local stadium. (laughs) It's not that big is what I'm trying to say. But it's the local stadium where a lot of the primary schools will go and do inter-school competitions. And you get there and you think, I have made it. Usain Bolt, I am coming for you even though you probably weren't born when I was doing this. And you would go there, and and I remember standing at the start line in the sprint race thinking, I am the fastest at my school. And then suddenly realizing, I am the slowest in this city. (laughs) And then it came to, like, the, the relay race, and they would always put the fast one at the end, and I'm like, I am at the end of the relay race. The only way I'm going to beat these people who are next to me who've just beaten me is to imagine, I don't know whether anyone else did this, maybe this is just me being warped and strange, I actually quite need the toilet, which you generally do, I think, when you're facing a race. So my, my game plan was, there is a toilet at the end. There is a toilet at the end. Run, run, run. Run as fast as you can. And I suddenly began to realise that I had actually had no extraordinary talent or ability like some people have. Some people are just like... Wow, check them out. They are just amazing at this thing. They can do amazing artwork. I know Paul talks about his cousin who is amazing at artwork. You may know people who are just just and you just in awe of them. But can I encourage you that when you look at yourself and you may have some amazing gift and talent, great. That's amazing. That's wonderful that it is so evident. Allow God to continue to work that in you. But if you're sitting there and you're a bit like me and you just think, yeah, I'm I'm okay at lots of things, but I'm not like excelling in any one major thing that I'm fantastic at. God actually has got a different plan. Let me read to you a couple of things that Paul said in the New Testament. Acts 16 verse Verses 1 to 3a says this. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystria, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystria and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. We see two places where Paul finds use, finds someone else profitable to him just because of who they are. It doesn't say of Timothy that he had any extraordinary gift or talent. But it's said that the believers at Lystria and Iconium spoke well of him. That's character. That's character. People spoke well of him. It doesn't say that he had this amazing speaking gift or that he was a great evangelist and saw hundreds of people come to Christ. But it said that people spoke well of him. Timothy had some character. Then we see Paul writing to Timothy and saying, bring Mark with you because he's helpful to me. 
That's character. Being helpful to somebody else, supporting somebody else, that's character. If you think, oh, I just, I don't even know what my gift is from God. Let me encourage you that your gift is you. Your gift is the person that you are. And in being that person, there is profit in you for spending time with other people, for encouraging other people. And you may have specific things on your heart, and that is wonderful, and that's fantastic, and we want to encourage you with those things. But for those of you just sitting there thinking, I'm not really sure where all this fits for me, let me encourage you. The gift is you. You are the gift. God has placed you on this earth. There is no one else like you. There never has been and never will be. Some people say, thank God. And then you are the gift. You are the gift to your family. You are the gift to your friends. You are the gift in your workplace. You are the gift where you volunteer. You are the gift within this church. You've got to recognize the gift. And the gift is you. And you know, we can have specific gifts. It talks so much in Corinthians about specific gifts and things that people are gifted with. And it's important to be trained and balanced and under authority with those things. And if you feel like you've got specific gifts, come and talk to us. We would love to help you on that journey and make recommendations to you. And as a church, we're on a journey with that ourselves. But if you feel specifically gifted, don't just sit there, but come and have a conversation. Talk to your small group lead. Talk to your ministry lead or come and speak to one of us. But the gift is you. And when we realize that, then the things that we can actually do are overshadowed by the one who made us as we are. Be humble. It's actually all about God and not about us. And that's the first thing I wanted to say to you, that we recognize the gift and recognize where the gift is from. The second thing is this. Don't let fear stop you. You know, very often we have times in life where we perhaps have to go on to new things. Maybe we go on to higher education. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's having a go at something we've never tried before. Maybe it's setting something up ourselves. Maybe it's something that we're passionate about. Whatever those things are, fear can make you give up what God wants to give you. And I want to encourage you this morning that you may look at yourself and think, I know that I'm gifted to help in these areas or I know that I'm gifted to do this thing or I would love to get involved in the the worship team or with kids or, you know, I I would love to to put my name down to do this or I would love to, to be able to do that. I see those people doing that. I'd love to set this up or I'd love to go and work in this field or whatever it is for you. But fear can so often stop us and make us think, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to step out and do something different because I don't know what that looks like or what that would be like. And I want to encourage you this morning not to let fear stop you. And I want to give you a top tip for how you can overcome fear this morning when it comes to breaking through and doing something new and seeing ground released to you, if that makes sense. Let's look at Joshua, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 9. Now, Joshua, 
had come with the Israelites. When the Israelites were in Egypt, he had been part of that group of people. He'd been enslaved in Egypt. He'd been there and he'd seen Moses come and do the miraculous signs. He'd gone with Moses. He'd been through the wilderness. He'd followed Moses. He'd seen miraculous signs in the wilderness. He'd come to the promised land and was believing that they were going to take the promised land. And when Moses died, Joshua was handed the mat the mantle of leadership for the Israelite people. And in Joshua 1 verse 9, this is what God says to him. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now why is God saying this to Joshua? Well, quite clearly, because he is afraid and he is discouraged and he is afraid that God isn't going to go with him wherever he goes. Anyone else feel like that? Anyone else at times feel afraid? Anyone else at times feel discouraged? Anyone else at times feel like, God, where are you? (laughs) I've lost you in this. That's why God was saying it to him, because God knew that he either felt like that or he was going to feel like that at some point. So what was the key What was the thing that managed to get Joshua to take all of those crowds of people over the Jordan River into the promised land and then go and wage war upon it and take the land? Because God was calling him into battle. God was calling him to go and take cities. God was calling him to take new ground. God was calling him to destroy the enemies that he faced. You may face enemies in your life. They may not be the same as what Joshua faced, but you may have things that you are facing that are difficult. You may have areas where you go where you think, this is so hard here. But I believe that the same that was true for Joshua is true for us today. That God commands us to be bold and very courageous. God commands us. So what was the key? What was the key that Joshua had? He spent time with God. It's that simple, and yet it's that hard. He spent time with God. How much time do you spend with God? He allowed himself to believe, and he allowed himself to be stretched. And I tell you why I know it. Because if we go back to before when God spoke to him, In Joshua 1, if we go back to Exodus, listen to what it says that Joshua was doing when Moses was still alive. Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua knew what it was to spend time with God. While Moses was going and dealing with all the people of Israel and dealing with the complaints and sorting everything out, Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting where the presence of God was. He stayed there. He didn't move from there. And so he developed a trust that the others didn't have because he knew God on a deeper level, because he'd spent time with God. He allowed himself to therefore believe in this God that he'd spent time with. He allowed himself to be stretched by this God he had spent time with because he suddenly realized if God said it, then it will happen. And it was all out of relationship. 
And there are many other examples in the Bible. David, Esther, the disciples, Joseph, Deborah, all examples of people who God encouraged them to go on. You can do it. And what was the key in their lives? They spent time with God. They had spent time with God. Go and look at those stories. Or if you don't know where they are, come and speak to me. I'll show you. They spent time with God. And it was that that helped them overcome their fear. It was that that helped them release the gift that God had put within them. It was that that helped them go on to the destiny that God had called them to. Don't let the enemy bully you out of your gifting. Don't be separated from your gift by fear of what if. What if, what if God doesn't turn up? What if I can't do it? What if God does turn up? What if the gift he's given you could change your family, could change your community? What if? Isn't that a better what if? And the enemy will try and intimidate you and bully you and push you into a corner. Can I encourage you? Spend that quality time with God and it will put an assurance and a confidence within you like you have never known so that you can go on and do bigger and greater than you ever thought that you could do. Grow bigger than the fear. Grow bigger than the fear by growing in God. When we grow in God, the things that shackle us and hold us break off from us. And there'll be things in your life that hold you down and say, no, you can't. And no, you shouldn't go for that job. And no, you shouldn't believe for that relationship. And no, you shouldn't believe for that salvation. And no, you shouldn't trust that God's going to make a way for you. And no, you shouldn't have a go at doing something with that gift that you believe you've got. And actually, you're no good. But instead... Instead of listening to all those things that try and shackle us, we've got to get bigger and grow bigger on God. And how do you get bigger? Well, by eating more makes you bigger. Yeah? It's obvious, isn't it? If I eat more, I will get bigger. I will. If I spend more time with God, I will get bigger in him. That's how you do it. We see it with Joshua. We see it in those other examples. Isaiah 10 verse 27 says this. In that day their burden will be lifted from their shoulders. Their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. If you want to see things broken over your life, if you want to see fear no more have a hold on you, if you want to see a future that you've only dreamed actually come to fruition, then spend time with God. Allow him to grow bigger within you so that you grow bigger, so that fear no longer holds you, so the enemy can no longer bully you, and so you can step out into your destiny and into the gift that God has given you to help it to grow within you. God's calling you out. You can either stay in a place of fear or you can break through. God's calling us to be bigger. God's calling us to be more. And the only way that we can do it is either, well, there's two ways we can do it. Firstly, we can do it in our own strength and by ourselves. And that's when this happens. Or we can allow God to get bigger within us and grow more within us so that we're more balanced, so that we're more holistic and then we're balanced and we get bigger like this. If you're bigger like this, it has a bigger impact. 
Do you see? I'm sorry if you're listening online. It just makes no sense, I'm sure. I'm doing something with my arms. I can't even know how to explain it. Don't let fear stop you. Allow God to grow bigger within you so that you grow bigger than that fear. And you suddenly realize that the avalanche that is coming to suppress you is actually the abounding grace of God coming to lift you forward. That the sea that you think you're sinking in is actually the waves to take you onto the shore of where he's taking you. That the things that are holding you down and pushing you are actually the things that are making you and molding you and shaping you into more of who he's calling you to be. So the last thing I want to say to you is grow broad. You know, if God is big, then we can go grow big in him. And the gift that he's given us can grow big in him. And when character and gifting grow on an equal level, then that brings longevity to what we're doing. If you want to see longevity with what you're doing, if you want to see something that has lasting impact, if you want to see something that isn't, doesn't just fizzle out at some point, then you've got to grow equally in character and gift. And you know, I said at the beginning, and I just want to reiterate it again now at the end, that very often we can look and think, I believe God's calling me to this or to, or to some specific thing. And yet we can feel so small at this point in time and think, how, how will I ever do that? How will I ever accomplish this thing that I believe God's calling me to? How, how will I ever grow broad enough to, to, to actually fill the shoes of what I believe God is calling me to? Well, again, I believe the answers in the Bible. And if we look at the story of David, and I'm sure many of you know it, the shepherd boy who became a king, the one who took his slingshot and his stones and he killed a giant. I think if we look at his life and his journey, we see the growth journey that he goes on. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 to 39, we join David as he stands on the battle line where Goliath comes and he taunts the Israelites and he says that you're no good and nobody is brave enough to go down and fight him. And David is just really hacked off with this guy. How dare he come and say God is not big enough and not good enough. David is fat on God. David is full of God. He's indignant for him. God is bigger and God is better. And how dare this giant come and say anything else? And we join him at the point where Saul, the king at the time, offers him his, his army. 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 39. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And you'll hear many and many a message on how you can't wear other people's armour and it's about your gifting and what God's called you to do. And that's all great, but that's not what I'm trying to say this morning. What I'm trying to say is there was a point in time where the armour didn't fit David. Let's look at this. Later on, after David has spent time with Saul and then Saul becomes very angry with David and wants to kill him and David goes on the run. We meet David as he's running and escaping in 1 Samuel 21. And it says, David asked Amalek, 
Don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any weapon because the king's mission was urgent. That was a little fib, actually. He's running away from him. The priest replied, the, lo- the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. I'm going to stop. I know there's a bit more. So we saw David unable to wear Saul's army. Saul was a tall man. It says he was head and shoulders above his brothers. But he wasn't a giant. Yeah? There's a significant difference. Saul was tall, but he wasn't a giant like Goliath. David was unable to wear Saul's armour because he wasn't used to it. Either it was too big or it was too heavy or he just wasn't used to wearing it because he was a shepherd boy. David had obviously gone on a journey from chapter 17 to chapter 21. I don't know how long that was, but he went on that journey. Because at chapter 21, he says this. David says, there is none like it. Give it to me. David goes from a boy who can't wear the king's army because he's not used to it, because it's too big, whatever it is, to a man who can actually yield the sword of a giant because he's been on a journey of growth that has taken him from step to step, that he's now able to do something greater than he could have ever imagined, something bigger than he could have ever thought possible. So let me encourage you this morning, when you feel like your feet are too small for the shoes that you believe God's given you there is a journey of growth that you can go on where you can grow broad enough that you can wield the sword of a giant for the destiny that God's calling you to keep believing keep growing keep battling your fears keep pushing in keep growing fat on God Keep recognising that the gift that is within you comes from God and not from yourself. Keep balancing yourself out because it's on that journey of growth that you go from a shepherd boy who can't wear armour to a man who can yield the sword of a giant. And God is calling us on on that journey because God never changes. God was the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So if he was the same for David, he's the same for you. And he can help you on that journey of growth. The gift creates space. It creates position and it creates faith and opportunity. But you've got to keep growing in it. And you've got to keep growing in God. I want to close with a prayer. And if the band want to come up and get themselves ready, that would be wonderful. I want to close with a prayer from Ephesians. And let's just pray it together. This is the prayer that Paul prays to the Ephesians, for the Ephesians. And I want to pray it over us this morning. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes as we read these words of Paul. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And here it comes. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. God, I thank you 
I thank you that in you we can grow big. I thank you that in you we have so much more. And I pray that those gifts within us would grow, that the character within us would grow, and that we would believe that our feet will fit those shoes that you've promised us. That we would believe that that sword of the giant, as we go on that journey of growth, is ours and can be moved. God, I thank you that you don't leave us where we are, but you take us from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see what is within us and to see where you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.